Well, hey, I'm Nevin, and I'm cooking up a podcast. Each week, I'm going to share some new recipes, talk to people about food and cooking, make some videos, and go on some adventures. You can find it all at nevintaylorcooks.com. This week, I talk with the four-time national women's spearfishing champion, Ann Doherty. And we check in with Tyler and see what's in the woods. Welcome to the eighth episode of Cooking Up a Podcast. So cool. Thank you for listening. All of the um, all of the episodes have had, you know, really good success and a lot of downloads and people sharing and all that stuff. So thank you very much for listening. It's super cool to start to see this thing grow. Um, and it's been the greatest thing that I've done in my life so far, this whole journey, sharing recipes, talking to people, meeting with people, connecting, um, and I'm just getting started. We're just starting to see what this thing can do. Hopefully pretty soon, uh, I'm going to start sharing some more stuff that, um, going to make some things happen, you know, and, uh, cook some food, eat some food with people, connect with people through the podcast and, and sharing recipes and, sharing stories and getting together and living life and just uh, enjoying and celebrating people and the process of making food and eating food and connecting with people. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty cool. So we'll see more stuff to come, a lot of stuff to work out. But for now, we're going back in the woods with Tyler. We're still talking about roots and shoots. So Tyler, we just went out in the woods. What's out in the woods this week? We walked through some like hilly fields. We found some mint. Smells so good. So good. I still got some in my pocket. Saving that for later. <laughs> yeah, just you know, just rubbing it and walking around. Keep that in, my, in the nose. It's nice. Uh, then we that up from that stream. There was a nice big patch of watercress. The watercress. We ran into. That's pretty sick. That was awesome. Spicy. That's like a farm. That's like. Mm. That's like gold. Yeah. As like, what's in the woods gold? Stumble across the, like... Nice watery patch. What do you like to do with watercress? You eat, like, a salad, right? In I like salad. to cook it, too, actually. I really yeah. like it cooked in the pan. Yeah. You need a lot of it to cook it. Uh, you just get a couple good handfuls. That's enough for, like, a side on a dish. Like, eat it with rice or whatever? Yeah, eat it with rice. Oh, that or sounds so good. It's nice and, like, juicy and watery. And, like, feels good to eat something with a lot of liquid content. Yeah. I always love that. Life. Yeah. Life force. Yeah. Life juice. Just get right in you. Yeah, that on top of some rice or... I don't know. You could probably cook it for a while. Cook all the water out and put it in an omelet or something. But I don't know. Quick. I like it real quick. Quick hot pan. Throw some butter, olive oil, or salt on top of it. What else did we see? Uh, more mustard things. We found, found, found the penny crest in the field. I'm calling it penny crest. I hope it is penny crest. The teeny mustards. Stuff, yeah. But that's the way it always is. It's always yeah. really small. Those yeah. little white flowers. It's one of the earliest ones to go to flower. Um, sorrel, uh, sheep sorrel. Sheep sorrel. I don't think we've touched sorrel. that yet. I love sheep sorrel. I love that shape. It's like a yeah. spear. Nice Beautiful. tart. Yeah. yeah. It's a really pretty one. I love that one. And like, that again, like right now, I guess it's all of those things. Those are all shoots, roots and shoots. Roots bro. and shoots continued. These are all shoots, basically, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Right? Like these are all shoots. Yeah. 
And they're all like... Like young growth. And salady. Young is like, you don't even need to, you just eat it. Herbs and salad. Herbs, a bit of herbs and salad out right now. Dandelion greens. I should just make a salad. We should do that. We should just go out and make a salad. Get chives, get mint for like the herb part of it, some ground ivy. Pick some dandelion greens and some mustard greens. Just make a big, funky salad. Okay, uh, another shoot that we didn't touch on last week because you said you didn't like it that much in this stage was not weed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's out right now. It's out. Some, it's definitely starting to come. And it grows, like, super fast. So by, like, another week, it's going to be... Flip. It's going to yeah. be so big. As soon as it gets a little bit warmer out, it's going to shoot up so fast. Yeah. I like it once it gets a little bigger. It gets more tart. Once that heat from the sun gets into the plants, they start to make all the flavors, like, really... But that's it. Mostly the chive bulbs are pretty cool. Heavy on the shoots. Yeah, heavy, heavy on the shoots. On the shoots it's just, so like, the under the ground, then it's at the ground, then it's above the ground. Next, it'll be, like, higher in flowers and then seeds. Yeah. Then, you know, nuts and seeds at the end of the season. Flowers. Did I say flowers? Yeah. Cycle of a plant's life, right? And it all has something to contribute. You just need to try and figure out how and what and, and what stage yeah because yeah. if you try to eat some part of the plant that's good now and you try to eat it later in the season it's going to be like woody or but I then you have to go higher up on the plant because that's where it's still tender that's where the new growth is or inside the like inner leaves like outside mm. leaves are too bitter mm. too like they're protecting and then the inside is what's like juicy and full of flavor yeah and it makes sense structurally too i think that's another big part of it yeah because like once the, you start making the flowers and the seeds like the plant needs to hold it up yeah so it makes the stock hard Recent shoots. Uh, looking forward to getting more sun, more spice in the plants, more life in the plants, and uh, right now, more size. More size. Everything's really small still. Everything's really small. Everything right now is like, you know, that tender baby stage. So it's just like all you gotta do is pick it and eat it or toss it in the salad with yeah. a lot of this stuff. For sure. Yeah. I'm releasing a YouTube video later on this week of me and Tyler out in the woods so you can see these plants and see us walking around and talking about these uh, these different wild foods that are growing in the woods right now. This week, I connected with Ann Doherty, who invited me into her home. She's got lots of gardens all over the place and, you know, she grows her own food and keeps bees and she goes spear fishing. You know, she's she's got the bug. She goes all the time and it's just a true passion of her. So we get into the whole thing talking about, um, you know, what the contests are like, what it means to be a national spear fishing champion, things she's got going on. Um, yeah, so this is her story, and uh, this is me and her talking about spearfishing and uh, lots of other stuff. Uh, so my name's Ann Doherty. I'm from Watertown, Mass., and I started spearfishing in 1995. My 
first dive partner uh, suggested I try spearfishing after having done rod and reel, reel fishing for a few years. And so I started it. I dove for the first time at Satchwist Point in Rhode Island with no wetsuit and decided that it was really exciting and uh, I have been doing it ever since. I've never been in the ocean before with a mask on. You put a mask on in the ocean, it just opens up a whole new world. There's seaweed and, you know, different colored seaweeds and fish swimming around. And it was just, it was just amazing. It was really, it's be- it was a beautiful place to go anyway, but it was, it was amazing. For, you're a four-time national women's national champion so there's a there's a society called the underwater society of america which is part of cmos uh which is a larger international organization that runs world spearfishing meets as well but in the united states we have a national spearfishing championship every year and it rotates around the country um it'll either be in hawaii california florida midwest freshwater sometimes i've won it in um rhode island twice and in California once, and in Missouri. Wow. So you've traveled all over to compete in yes. the spearfishing. Yep. And then we went to a world meet in Chile. And hopefully next year, there's going to be a world, well, there is going to be a world spearfishing uh, tournament in New Zealand next year. So I'm going to the national spearfishing championships in uh, Utah in June. So that hopefully we'll qualify to go to New Zealand next year. Okay. So what does the competition mean what what happens at so the spearfishing competition the rules that we go by is a point per fish plus a point per pound each region has its own regulations and rules of how many fish you can get of each species and uh how, how long they have to be etc cetera, etc cetera. so let's say you get a 10 pound fish you get 10 points for the 10 pounds, plus you'll get one point for that fish, so that fish will give you 11 points. At the end of the day, when you tally up all your fish and your points, whoever has the most points wins. It's one day. So you get from... Some meets are one day, some meets are two days. Usually all our, our local meets and the national meets are generally one day. The national spearfishing, the, the freshwater meet this year is going to be two days because we're doing um, game fish one day, which includes pike and striped bass, freshwater striped bass. And then the second day is carp only, which are considered a kind of a trash fish. And that that particular meat will be scored a little differently as just one point per fish. So it doesn't really matter how big they are. So the more fish you get, the better. So there are the advantages to shoot as many as you can, as fast as you can. And so you'll be up You'll go to the meet, like the meeting place, and it's all in one area. So there's a designated area, a tournament boundaries, and they're marked by buoys, depending if it's freshwater or saltwater. And so the tournament will start at a certain time. They blow an air gun, and everybody goes out. Uh, in, in Rhode Island, the meets are always kayak-based meets, so you're, you sit on top kayaks. Most of us use ocean kayak. So you go out, and you have a designated travel time so you have about a half an hour to get is anywhere you want to go within the tournament area and then once the tournament time starts you can get in the water you can fish anywhere in the tournament area until the travel time for the return you know you have to go back at say three o'clock you so you have to get out of the water at 2 30 you paddle back and everybody if you don't make it back you're disqualified well and you bring back everything that you've shot during the day for them to yes so you'll be out there for six hours usually yeah yeah wow 
the local meets we do are, they start at nine. We don't use travel time for the local meets and you have to be back by two. And you can go anywhere in the in the tournament area, which you know can be a couple miles. You can go anywhere yeah. you want to go. So in Rhode Island, uh, it's now one striped bass. It's three to tog. And uh, I think, you know, you can get fluke, you can get bluefish, you can get scup. The more scup you get, the better, because, you know, even if no scup doesn't weigh very much, you get a point for each fish. So more quickly, how much fish in like a typical day or like in, to, to win one of these things, like how many fish are we like talking about right now? Well, like, most people who are going to be competitive are going to get their base fish. They're going to get their striped bass. They're going to get their tatog. Every time, pretty much. Like they'll get if, it. If you don't get those those four, generally you're not going to be competitive. Um, then you want to get as many scup as you can. Sometimes people will bring in, you know, four, five, six scup, depends. A um, couple of bluefish, but bluefish are... You know, they're very erratic. They don't stay in the same area. You'll find them in with a school of bass. Sometimes you'll find them by themselves, sometimes a school. Um, Sometimes you'll get lucky later in the season. In the fall, you'll get false albacore or bonito, Mm -hmm. and those count, and they're heavy. Yeah. 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 Well, they're not too big. They can run around 10 pounds maybe. (laughs) But, you know, it's a freebie that just happens to swim by you if you get them. But they move really fast, so you have to be on them. And then sometimes we'll get fluke, but we haven't. I haven't seen people get fluke very often in tournaments lately. And black sea bass have been coming back lately. A lot of people have been getting black sea bass, so they're the best. They're yeah. the best eating fish, I think. You think so? Yes. Of all of them. Of around here, yes. black sea bass takes the cake. Definitely. I mean, uh, striped bass is is versatile, you know, because you can grill it, you can do everything. It doesn't fall apart. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just a pristine, delicious white. F- flesh that you can marinate, take whatever flavor you want. Black sea bass is delicious. Yeah. Sushi. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really awesome. Um, so you'll come back with 10 fish. Maybe, yeah. Maybe 10-ish yep. fish. And that's like kind of consistent? Like that'll happen like if you're well, going to be competitive it, or winners? It, it like- depends. You know, last year, for instance, we had a, we had a meet that um, there was total fog. And there had been a really big swell the day before, so it was like taking your life in your hands. And, you know, if you you anchor your kayak somewhere and you jump off and you're swimming around um, and you don't want to lose sight of your kayak because... It's just fog. And there were a lot of waves breaking all over the place. So, you know, I had scouted the meat and I had a great, had a bunch of great options, except I couldn't go to any of them because the waves were crashing too much near those rocks. So um, I had to change my plan during the meat. So that meat wasn't that great. Uh, And you never know, the weather can make play a big part. You can go out and then the wind can kick up and, um, you know. Yeah, I guess in in my head thinking about it, I would just from fishing from the shore like you yeah. never know what's the, yeah there's it's days true. when you it's go true. out and there's nothing like you don't oh, yeah. get in there's nothing does that happen frequently or oh, yeah. is it like kind of like you you'll go out and you'll know you're going to get something well you know last year we were pretty lucky i dove with my regular dive partner all season and we went to you know we went out of the same place and we were in the same general school of bass i think i think it was the same school all summer I mean, all summer until October. And we had a few spots that we would hit. We'd rotate around and we would go to our little spots and eventually we would find something. Uh, However, one time we went out to this one spot and, you know, I've been in the water for about an hour and I hadn't found anything. So I was swimming over to my buddy and I was like, hey, you know, like, 
come on, can we move? And just as I got to him, I saw a small striper swim by. I thought, oh, okay. So I swam a little further ahead and I saw him. I swam just ahead of him and I dove down in about 15 feet of water. Three fish went by. So I shot one, 38 pounds, 15 feet of water. And I hadn't seen anything for an hour before that. So, and he, I don't think he saw anything on that particular, he got one later, but he didn't get one there. But generally you'll go out, you'll see stuff, you'll get something. We'll get something. Every time you go out. Yeah. I think my best tournament though was I, um, I got voted out of the women's division of uh, a national tournament one year, so I had to compete in the. I was competing on a mixed team, and uh, so I was on. There were two guys and myself on the team, so I got stuck in with the men's team, and I ended up taking fifth place nationally that year. I'm very happy about that because I ended up getting a men's trophy, and the men weren't too happy about that. Well, but the women weren't too happy either. But. <laughs> So that was good. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Crossing. Yeah. And it is, you know, that's another thing about spearfishing is not, free diving spearfishing is not a sport that's at all gender specific. There aren't any limitations on, well, I don't know, how do I say? Gender doesn't make a difference physiologically when you're free diving. So anybody can dive and, and you know, most of our meets are kayak based. So women and men are generally, you know, they can kayak just as well. I haven't notice that it makes any difference other than what may is if women are encouraged to do it then they'll do it just as well as anyone else but i think people don't encourage them to do it you know i think our society doesn't really encourage some people to be that adventurous sometimes i see because like being out in the ocean and the open water with a spearfishing gun and diving and you have to be comfortable with that yeah yeah. you're gonna get pushed around a little bit but i mean if you're a good you know if you're a good swimmer and you're you're comfortable in the water then you know you're you're gonna probably have a good chance of of diving really well because the people who do it and stay in it end up you know staying in it for a long time yeah yeah i have a friend most of the female people that i dive with are from california and they're they've been diving as long as i have and my teammate this year is from california so she's been doing it for 21 years so wow cool northern california very cold water yeah 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 you know, he says that, you know, we have no social life in the summertime because we go fishing every weekend. You know, if I didn't have a job, I would go fishing more often, but I will go fishing every weekend. You know, if there's a wedding or birthday or something like that during the summer, I'm still going to go fishing because you, you have to. I, it's just, you know, you, once you're in the ocean, it, it's like, I don't know, it's a different experience. You're just in another world and you have to keep going back. It's not always a peaceful place, you know, if the weather's rough and, you know, then you can get back in your car and, and, you know, kind of laugh about how miserable it was. But sometimes it's just you go out there and it's just a beautiful day and something something comes by. You just never know what's going to swim by. One time, a long time ago, I was my kayak was anchored over near Butterball Rock in um, Narragansett Bay off Castle Hill. And. I thought, oh my God, what is that underneath my kayak? I swim back. The visibility was pretty good. And I thought, there's something kind of white and gray underneath my kayak. What is that? I was hoping it was a trash bag or something. I'm like, is that, that's not like a shark. And it turns out it was a giant mola mola, you know, sunfish, yeah, ocean yeah, yeah, sunfish. Yeah. And it was probably seven feet from fin to fin going up and wow. down. And so then I swam up to it and I followed it for a little while. And I thought, well, these guys don't go very fast. You know, and I tried to touch it so I could kind of get a ride on it. That thing boogied. 
<laughs> it went really, really fast, but you never know. I've never seen one that big. I mean, it was probably 16 inches across, you know, the breadth of its head. It was really cool. It was huge. It was huge. I've never, I've seen a couple of mola molas here and there, but never one that big. Wow. It was really cool. That's you just awesome. never know what you're going to see. It's just, you've been there, you know, once you spend a day on the water, you know, it's, it, it's, you come back to land and it's, you know, you've been on a vacation. It's, it's better than being on a vacation. I don't know. I mean, you're, and when you're out there, you know, you, you're only depending on yourself. You know, you're paddling somewhere yourself, you're getting your fish yourself, you're getting back yourself. You know, you have to judge your weather and decide whether it's safe to be out or not. I want to go spearfishing with you, but I also, or diving or whatever, go out. But I also kind of, I don't at the same time because I'm like, <laughs> oh man, this might like screw everything up for the rest of my, not screw <laughs> everything up, but I have so many things that I got to do. Like if I feel that pull and that, now all of a sudden, Yes. You don't do laundry for the whole summer. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's heard from me in a really long time. Uh, yeah. Yep, that happens. Yeah. It is. And then last year, I was out at Sakonet Point, which is one of my favorite places to dive because there's so much variety of, of terrain. Because out of Sakonet, they're just off the point are these three islands, West Island, East Island, and Middle Island, or some people call it the clumps. And so it was off Middle Island and... I was in really, really close to shore. And I was just by myself and I was looking around. And I said, you know, there's a gully. So I look in this gully and I, I think, yeah, I bet that's, that's a really good place for a big tatog to hang out. So I just look in the gully and there was a big tatog in there. It was a big female tatog, probably 12 pounds, huge, just huge. So I looked at it for a while and it was just rocking back and forth in the gully. And I was thinking, you know, I could shoot that to talk. And I said, no, you know, I could shoot a couple smaller ones and get the same weight out of it, but I'm just going to watch it. So I watched it for about 10 minutes. And then I let it just sit there and figured, you know, it's going to be there next year. Hope it gets bigger. We were talking about Tatog earlier as being a fish that it's kind of gotten some PR maybe recently of being something that people eat and is, you know, it's like historically here, like it's like, that's like a traditional fish for the area, for sure. It is. You know, it's it's a it's a ras, w r a s s e, and it's um, one of the you know a lot of rasses of the ras fish family are hermaphroditic. They change from men to women or women to men, depending. But tatog does not. Huh. It's tatoga onitis. In California, they have the sheep's head, which looks a lot like a tatog. It's gray with a big red stripe. And down in Chile, they have something called the pejipero that looks like the sheep's head, but it goes black, yellow, black instead. And they're all kind of similar fish. But the tatog here, they don't change. They're either men or they're women. They're delicious. They're very slow-growing fish. They eat barnacles and mussels, and they taste really, really good in chowder. Mm -hmm. They're really, really good smoked. I don't think I like anything smoked better than tatog. They're really good fried. But, you know, unless people fish for them on the Cape, a lot of people don't know what they are, but they are really, really delicious. So I'm glad that people are starting to find out about them. I think that some people have the misconception that spearfishing is kind of barbaric. I think that, I suppose you could say that all kinds of fishing are barbaric. But in a way, it's not. It's very sustainable, and you're, you have a lot of discretion as to what you decide to take or not take. You can decide on, you know, to talk, it's pretty easy to tell underwater if it's a male or female. The male have this big white chin underneath them, and the females have a different shape of their head. And, and, and you can tell at quite a distance, you know, once you get used to seeing them, which one is which. For striped bass, you get to choose which size you want. Right. You know, you want a little one, you want a big one you know, what, what, what are you going to use so you don't end up wasting anything? 
it's very exciting. I think it's, you know, if you're a little kid and you're walking around, it's kind of like treasure hunting and digging a hole and thinking you're going to find gold or something like that. It's th- it's that same kind of experience. You just never know what's going to swim by. Yeah. And uh, I mean, one of the cool things, <laughs> I was swimming by, swimming, uh, swimming off Gloucester one time and we were lobstering and this thing went by and it looked like a frying pan with a tail. And I said, what is that? And it was a torpedo ray. It's an electric ray. They're round with a shark, little shark type tail. And I've seen a few of those every now and then. Those are kind of cool. I mean, you never know when you're going to see them. They're just so strange looking. Are there any other like danger situation other than like environment i guess you know there's plenty of danger especially environmental where it's like rock slippery waves crushing but like i think uh for us because we're free diving so we're snorkeling in the water and we have dive flags off our kayaks and i think one of the dangers is most people well not most people but many people don't recognize a dive flag for what it is they don't realize that because there's a dive flag, there's going to be a person in the water somewhere near that kayak. And so boaters will come very close. And so our biggest fear is other boaters running us over. So there've been a number of times where you, you know, you're underwater, you hear an engine and you just have to hold on to the bottom and wait for it to go by. So that's the biggest, biggest danger, really. I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we do carry a knife always, but with the new thin, um, what do you call those Dyneema or Dacron lines? You'll if you don't, you know, see you get caught in lines or something underwater. You'll have to cut them. I wow. mean, it, it hasn't happened that often, but you know, you you just want to be aware that fishing line and other gear does get dropped into the ocean and stay there. The occasional wire line. Yeah, I found about 50 feet of wire line attached to a lure last year. Yeah, and then I think sometimes sailboats, because sailboats do have the right of way over most other craft. I think that they, you know, an anchored kayak, they think they also have the right of way over an anchored kayak with a dive flag. And I've been almost run over by sailboats a number of times. And those are more dangerous because you can't hear them. Okay, so I thought it would be fun to go through, like, just just to kind of like paint a picture or like a like a story of what going spearfishing and free diving is like so like you get all your gear at the beach you put everything on you take off in a kayak then what ha- like what's the day like like what does the physical doing the spearfishing like so the, this the gear for spearfishing is it's a lot like because it's we're in new england here we we do wear a wetsuit so we wear a wetsuit a mask, fins, snorkel. We wear gloves. We wear booties. We wear, and the fins we use are are longer. They're about a meter long uh, for free diving because then you can get down to the bottom faster. You can, you know, they're just it's just better for swimming. Um, we get in the kayak. We decide where to go. We get out to a spot. We throw the anchor over. You put your mask on, and you get out your spear gun. And uh, the spear gun it looks sort of like a harpoon. It, it has a long barrel with a pistol grip at one end and it, the harpoon goes along the barrel and there are notches at one end. And so the front of the barrel has two rubber bands. You pull the rubber bands and you notch them back. You pull them back and put them on the notches at the back of the handle. Right. And then when you see a fish, you can just pull the trigger and the, the shaft is gonna go out, hopefully go right through the fish. There's a line at the back of the shaft that's attached to the gun, so you don't lose the shaft permanently. So the rubber band you're talking about is basically like a big slingshot. Exactly. And that's what propels exactly. it forward yep. when you exactly let go like of it. Exactly, like a slingshot. And on your mask, 
it's like a snorkeling mask. You have the little tube that goes yep, up. It's a snorkel. It's a mask. Same thing. So you can kind of just like float around and you get off your kayak and you can just swim face under the water. Yes, you and can. And just motor along everywhere and just checking everything out that's you going can. on. As under. a matter of fact, my dive partner one time got a 33 pound striped bass from the surface. He was just swimming along and one swam underneath him. Down there it was and he just nailed it. Just that alone, like going out in a kayak, getting all set up, putting on your snorkeling gear, being comfortable in that stuff, you know, like you're not cold, you're not whatever, and then just motoring around. That sounds really cool, checking everything out. We do wear weight belt. We use the sit-on-top kayaks, and they have uh, Ocean Kayak makes this one called a Scupper Pro. It has two big hatches, big hatches, which are nice. You can open them up, you can throw all your gear inside them, so that when you're paddling, nothing gets lost, falling off. So when you anchor, you pull out the gun that you want, and you get in the water, you just hold it. A lot of people who do free diving have a breathing up technique where you're you're trying to build up oxygen into your into your lungs. So you're doing some deep breathing on the surface. You get really, really relaxed and you want to just relax all your muscles because your your thigh muscles use all the oxygen in your body. So you want to be relaxed. So you pike, you go down. I usually swim down to the bottom and I lie on the bottom and then I hold still and then you look around and you look to the left, you look to the right, you look straight ahead and you see what's what's going to swim by and you try not to move. Because you have a weight belt on so it's easy, you can... You can kind yeah. of stay put. So we're yeah we dive we dive a little heavy so that you can lie on the bottom without constantly floating up. You get down to the bottom and then you're waiting. Say say a school of bass comes in, they might hear you come down, and they're curious, so they'll they'll kind of check you out and they'll start coming in, coming in, coming in. And you're just waiting, waiting, waiting. But if you're moving your head around a lot, it's going to spook them and they're going to sense that you're something dangerous and they're going to run away. If you move your eyes a lot, they're going to see that also. They can see eyes and they recognize them as eyes. This one guy I know will keep his hand halfway in front of his mask so that the fish can't really see his eyes. If you just move your head, they'll be gone. Yeah, it's amazing to think about being that connected with, you know, it's like meditative of like, just be like, first of all, getting your body, especially when you're good and experienced of I'm sure the the process of being able to get on that level you need to get to be able to stay under for extended period of time like that process seems pretty intriguing to me of like connecting or disconnecting or whatever it is that you want to say of like being in control of your body and being so connected inside of what what's happening it, it's relatively easy to go from fearing that you can't hold your breath at all to being comfortable holding your breath for a, you know, a longer period. You know, if you're really focusing on relaxing all your neck muscles, your shoulder muscles, everything, you know, when you get under underwater and just think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm okay. Fluid, you're like... And you can stay down for longer than you think you can. Okay, so you're at the top, you, you weigh, you go down, you hang out, and that'll last for whatever, and then you see fish and or you don't see fish and then you go back up to the top and then just kind of like so yeah you know a lot of the times if we're, if we're going and we're we're our purpose for that day is is to get striped bass then we'll dive down and you, you you get down on an area and you assess is this a fishy area do i hear anything because you can hear striped bass underwater really yes what do they sound like well if you've ever been at a red light and there's a car next to you and you can hear the bass kind of ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom through your windows, even though you have your windows shut, feel that vibration. That's what they sound like, especially yeah. if a school is, is feeding somewhere and they come by. You can hear them. Yeah. One of the, the biggest one of the biggest fish I ever got was I heard it 
And, and they also, if you spook them, they cavitate, they slap their tail underwater in effect, and they make this big ba-boom sound, which can be quite frightening if you... If you spook one and you don't know it's there and you spook each other at the same time, it's frightening. But uh, yeah, you can hear them. So you go down and you kind of assess if it's quiet or you see other fish if they're coming around and what are those other fish doing? Do they look alarmed or not alarmed? And then you can go up and say, well, I'm gonna move over here a little bit and you go down and, and if they like structure, you know, you look for rocks because that'll hold bait fish and that'll hold forage for them. You just keep looking till you find a spot and then sometimes you'll find a particular rock that you find has big fish frequently. You can go to that same rock week after week after week and you'll find fish at the same rock. You go down, you see the fish that you want, say a big striped bass, you spear it. The line goes out. One thing I neglected to mention about the gun is, it, is is when the line goes out, we have the line attached to a reel, much like a fishing reel on the bottom of the gun. You can let that line, the shaft, let's, let's say the shaft goes through the head of the fish. So the fish is going to keep swimming for a while, perhaps, and you can let out some line. So that allows two things. One is you're not pulling too hard on it to rip it. And two, you can get back up to the surface. Rip it. The line? Rip, rip, rip the shaft out of the fish. So you go back to the surface and then you can pull in the line. And then when you get to the fish, we, we like, if you turn a fish upside down, it won't move. So if you turn it belly up, you can just grab it by the tail and turn it upside down. And then it's not going to struggle because it's disoriented as to top and bottom. You'll probably take your gun and stick it under your arm or something, get it out of your way. And you're still holding onto the line just in case it does take off. But you turn it upside down, you hold it by the tail, and then you wait for it to flare its gills. And then you can stick your hand in underneath the gills where the gill rakers are. And between the two sets of gills, there's something we call the horn upside down. It's, I don't know what you call it, the collar of the fish. So you can grab it in there and then you have a pretty good grip on it. And then we pith it with a knife. So you pith the brain and then it's dispatched. Or people are lucky sometimes you get what they call stone shots where you actually, when you shoot it, it, it goes right into the spinal cord and then it just doesn't move. So matter your kayak and we usually have a stringer hanging off of our kayak. So we string it and then we leave it in the water while yeah. we're fishing because, you know, then it, it stays fresh. Oftentimes I'll just bleed it and gut it right there so that it stays fresh and then the, doesn't start to oxidize the meat at all. And then you'll just paddle back with the fish in the water. You get back. No, <laughs> I no. did. I did that once, and one fell off. Uh oh. <laughs> you put them in the kayak. When yeah. you're paddling, you put it <laughs> yes, in. So that's just in. hanging off the side while you're while still you're, yeah, while you're still fishing, fishing. and yeah. going. Okay, I see. You're never afraid of anything trying to come up and feed on it at that point. Well, I was just thinking of that, and. Um, it hasn't happened often. Uh, you know, in Florida, you obviously can't fish that way because, you know, they have a lot more sharks than we do. We don't really have dangerous sharks around that. I mean, they may be around that area. We don't ever see them. I've only had, I think I had a bluefish eat one of my tatog one time. I had a, I had a creepy experience once. I was, I was uh, diving for, for lobsters up in Gloucester. It was like five o'clock. So I went out and I get in the water and it's, it's a shallow reef and I decided to go around this reef. And I see dogfish everywhere. They're the little sharks. They get to be maybe six feet long. There must have been 200,000 of them. There was thousands of them everywhere. I mean, it was a carpet. They were just everywhere. Huh. So I figured, well, okay, we'll see what happens. So I dove down through them and I'm looking underneath rocks for lobsters and they just kind of go around you as if yeah. you're nothing. And they didn't bother me. Eventually I found a winter flounder. I shot the winter flounder and I put on my stringer and I hung it off my float. I was, had a float with me. I had a lobster. They didn't do anything to the lobster, which was in a bag, but they ate the, the flounder. Huh. So I thought, okay, 
I'm not going to shoot any more flounder. I'm going to keep looking for lobster. Well, as the evening progressed, you know, the light is going down and <laughs> the dogfish, they came up and they were sniffing the end of my spear where I'd shot the, the flounder, but they didn't do anything. I thought, okay, but they start to rise up in the water column. And so I started to get the creeps because, you know, it's getting darker and here they are and they're and just literally everywhere you look, there were dogfish, hundreds of that for two and a half hours. And I finally decided, oh, that's it. I'm getting out of here. I mean, they didn't touch me. They didn't do anything, but it was creepy. So in Massachusetts, you can get a recreational lobster license if you own land. And so you're allowed to get 15 lobsters a day for recreational use only. And you can have 10 pots, regardless of whether you're diving or pots, you can still only have 15 person per day. I've never gotten that many. Is there anything else around here to well, there are sea urchins here, and it used to be a pretty good commercial industry a while back. I don't know if it is now, but the ones here, they're smaller, they're green, the green urchins. I crewed on a guy's boat getting them one time. I, I just, you know, they spawn in, I think in February and March when the water's really, really cold. I don't really know if it's very active now. I don't really know what the population is, and I think up in Maine, it might be more active. Yeah. But I did, I dove all commercially on California on a sea urchin boat with the red sea urchins. Cool. That's, yeah, it's really cool. What was that process like? Like, so you're on the boat and then you go out and... Well, that's different diving. You're, you're doing what they call hookah diving. Instead of scuba diving where you're wearing a tank, there's an air compressor on the boat. And so you're you, you're using a regulator, but you have a 400-foot hose tube. So you dive down and you're breathing on the hose on the bottom. And, you, you know, you have this big bag and you're just putting the urchins in the bag has a float on it and when you're about to come up you just take your air from your regulator put it into the float and the bag goes to the top yep scallops that sort of thing anything like that while you're diving or i seen people yeah some people scuba divers will go for scallops the little scallops here but i dove one time in norway on a tournament uh it was really fun it's a lot like the coast of maine we're in christensen norway and they have scallops on the bottom in like 30 feet of water they're big sea scallops and you just dive down and pick them up and the Ukrainians were all over them. They had fresh lemons and everything, and they're just cutting them on the boat, squeezing fresh lemon on them and eating them right on the boat. What other, are there any other cool traveling, diving stories? Well, I think it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a really nice, close community. Um, a lot of the spearfisher pe- people know each other from you know, around the country and internationally. Uh, we did go on the first women's world women's meet to chile in 2004 and so we met a lot of the chilean divers down there then we saw some of those divers when we went to norway that was just a a a fun meet it's called the christensen cup they have every year in norway that has a lot of people coming from all over the world hoping to go to new zealand next year oh yeah utah everybody's going to be pulling for you guys well we'll see we'll see but it should be fun if the there's a the world freshwater meet in and New Zealand will be in the North Island next year in Lake Taupo, shooting catfish, little catfish. They want to get them out of the lake. They weren't brought in, but so that's why they're they're letting us do this. But it's a beautiful lake, super clear water. Yeah, I've seen cool. pictures of it. Yeah, it should be really fun. And then we'll go diving, you know, salt water afterwards right. just yeah. to catch fish. Yeah, they have some big fish. What do you like to do with a lot of the fish that you catch cooking? Like what what are some like go-to things? You, you make fish tacos, you mentioned, or? Yeah, so it, it depends on the fish. Um, so I have friends who beg me for bluefish. If I catch bluefish, sometimes I catch them and I'll give them bluefish because they like to make bluefish pate or smoked bluefish pate sometimes. And then to tog, I mean, you can do anything with it. Um, you know, my sister-in-law loves it. She grew up eating it off. The, she's from the Cape, so she grew up eating it uh, smoked in chowder, 
grilled, fried, fried and fish tacos with a spicy coleslaw, black sea bass. You know, you can eat it as sushi. You can bake it whole. Uh, it's just such a sweet, delicious meat. It's really, really good. Some people like trigger fish. Trigger fish is one fish that I don't think I've, I've mentioned that it comes up in the summertime. It, you know, just comes up with the Gulf Stream and they're from Florida. And I personally don't like the smell of them. I don't like anything about them because they bite you. They're really, yeah, they're really hard to shoot because they're really tough. But some people really, really like them. To to get the skin off, you have to just rip it off with a, you kind of cut around the skin and it's very tough and you rip it off with the pliers and then they'll put them in a beer batter and fry them. Oh, and then my favorite probably is winter flounder fillets. You get lobster meat, cooked lobster meat with chopped up with a bunch of basil, lemon, butter, melted butter and breadcrumbs and you make a topping and you put it on the flounder fillet. You bake it for about 10 minutes. It's like eating candy. It's really good. A lot of garlic. I forgot the garlic. Yeah, a lot of garlic. What is the most memorable thing recently that someone else has cooked for you? It could be in a restaurant or a friend or something that was meaningful or something that really was like, that sticks out in life. I think probably one of the nicest things I've tried, it was the best thing I ate all that season, is I got a, um, a bonito, a little bonito that I shot. I gave it to a friend of mine who said come back the next day and he cooked up this little like appetizer thing with a bonito and in, it had a caramelized goat cheese and it was just torched a little I don't even remember what was in it it was so delicious you know I would never have imagined it to be that delicious it was yeah. really 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 good yeah do you have anything memorable from growing up you know I grew up in Kentucky we didn't eat, even though both my parents were from Massachusetts we didn't eat a lot of I was born in Rhode Island but I grew up in Kentucky we didn't eat a lot of fish but we did make maple syrup we had a maple tree in our yard we tapped maples tree every year we made syrup for the whole neighborhood and we would crank our own ice cream with the whole neighborhood and so we'd have you know ice cream and maple syrup on it and that was a lot of fun and we still make ice cream at our family reunion every single year and we make the kids crank it what is recently the most memorable thing that you've cooked well i went to indonesia in uh, the fall to go on this trip and we did go snorkeling although not not spearfishing and we saw beautiful reefs uh and had some really really good food but actually the food in indonesia is really really good it has a lot of complex flavors and so when i came back i tried cooking mee goreng which is a fried noodle thing with vegetables and you can put fish in it if you want or chicken or nothing you know so i've been trying to cook indonesian food which is really delicious. Cool. Well, Anne, thank you so much for your time and telling your stories. I think that was super awesome. Uh, or we're just going to send all the support to when you go to Utah so that well, you, can, you. you can we'll win see. and go to We hope so. Thank New you. Zealand. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So, after talking to Anne, I am going spearfishing with her, like, hands down, gonna happen, gotta buy a wetsuit, already been researching it, Patagonia, hook it up, what up Patagonia? When it happens, 
I'll record it, make a video, make some recipes with some of the stuff that we find, take you guys along on the journey. Um, if you follow on YouTube, I'm putting out videos on YouTube all over the place. Recipes, adventures, the whole thing. Farm tours, cooking food. I love life. This has been super fun. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, it's up now on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on Podbean. It's on Google Play. It's all those places. Please subscribe. Share it with some friends. Share the love if you like what's going on. And there's so much more cool stuff to come. And I can't wait to keep doing it and sharing stuff with people. And thank you so much, Anne, for inviting me over and talking about all this stuff and good luck in utah everybody's gonna be pulling for you you guys are gonna do sick and hopefully be heading over to new zealand that would be super awesome all right check back next week for another episode cooking up a podcast baby